Hi folks and welcome to the first episode of Mon the Workers, brought to you by the Scottish Trade Union Congress. I'm Mitchell Thompson. And I'm Ewan McLaren. And for our first episode, we are joined by Ruby Gibson from Public and Commercial Services Union, PCS, who represent members from the civil service and related areas, and Will Strong, who is the Director of Research at Autonomy, a think tank specialising in the future of work. Ruby and Will are going to be speaking to us today about the four-day week and their new joint report, which looks into the desirability, feasibility and impact of a shorter working week in the Scottish Government. So Will, for people listening in who may have no idea about what the four-day working week is, Would you mind explaining a little bit about some of the work that Autonomy has done around this and why you feel it's important for the future of work? Yeah, so Autonomy is a think tank premised on uh, the future of work. So we look at what the future of work will be like and try and forecast what the future of work should be like. So providing research and policy to uh, boost worker voice, greater democracy, equality and freedom in the labour market as we face a number of different challenges in the future. So those might be environmental challenges, those might be uh, gender equality challenges, those might be technological challenges. Now what we specialise in, one of our flagship policies, is the four-day week or the shorter working week. Now in this area we've done a number of different Uh, projects. We've produced a number of outputs. We work with companies at the shop floor level. So we work with organizations trialing shorter working weeks or four-day weeks. Um, So kind of building ground-up knowledge of how to kind of adapt working processes to move to shorter working hours in a number of different organizations, charities, small startups, larger businesses, and so on. But we also work with trade unions because trade unions have always been at the forefront of shorter working week um, initiatives, campaigns, Um, We wouldn't have had the weekend without um, trade unions. So we work with trade unions very closely, um, both uh, in England, but also now in Scotland with PCS. And so our work is both working with organisations at the shop floor level, but also producing policy for governments and for trade unions to take forward in their workplaces. Ruby, how did PCS start thinking about the four-day week? Yeah, so before I answer that, I think it's important to give a bit of an overview on PCS, just so listeners understand what I mean when I use certain phrases and terms. So PCS is the largest civil service trade union in the UK. Um, we've got hundred, roughly 180,000 members nationally, and um, we represent workers that work for the UK or Scottish government. So the UK government, um, workers that you know, not just work for the UK government, but it's about been across the whole of the UK as well, so they can work in Scotland. Um, some examples could be like workers in DWP, so people that work in the job centre, people that work in HMRC in the tax office, um, but also people that work for the the kind of Scottish government devolved administration. So um, when I use the term um, Scottish sector, which I will probably use quite a lot <laughs> throughout this podcast. Um, I mean anyone that works for the Scottish Government and related civil service bodies such as the Scottish Courts and Tribunal Service um, or the um, Registers of Scotland, so that's like our version of the Land Registry and also some of the more arm-length bodies such as uh, the culture sector like the galleries, the National Galleries of Scotland or the National Museums of Scotland and then there's also the Scottish Parliament and regulatory bodies. Um, So yeah, any organisation in the devolved administration that we have have collective bargaining rights for that's what I'll mean when I say Scottish sector how did we start thinking about a four-day week so as Will just said you know the trade union movement has always been at the forefront of the campaign for any reduction in working time um, and you know the mid-20th century I suppose uh, saw the introduction of the two-day weekend you know we all love our weekends but actually that was a, a fairly recent uh, change to work in life and it also saw this standardization of uh, a 40 hour week in the UK and trade unions were pivotal to the implementation of those things so I mean it's always been something, it's always been a demand that PCS has supported. Nearly every study shows the benefits that the shorter working week has, you know, to things such as productivity and the environment. And because of this, it has been an element of our Scottish sector pay claim for the last few years. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where, it, where the roots of it are, I suppose, within PCS. But with regard to us working with autonomy on the 4D week and thinking about the 4D week in more detail, 
I suppose that originated from the pandemic, really, and the spotlight that COVID shone on the fact that many ways of working were outdated and actually weren't the best ways of working. And the four-day week, I suppose, started to be touted as part of the solution to post-pandemic recovery, spoken about businesses and politicians. And I think it was on the back of this that we started to work with Will and his colleague Kyle from Autonomy after hearing about the work that they do on the four-day week. So yeah, in late 2020, we um, started working with Autonomy and really with the aim of, or the desire to explore the feasibility and desirability for the 4D week for our members across the Scottish sector. But to be honest with you, that's quite difficult. That's quite a difficult task because within different government portfolios, so that might be culture, um, it could be the um, environmental portfolio, or it could be just the Scottish government, the Scottish parliament. There are a lot of different types of work and experiences of work across these different organisations. So for example, um, our members and workers in the National Museums of Scotland or the National Galleries of Scotland, they do a lot of shift work and um, they work in public facing roles. And this really, these two kind of factors present quite unique challenges to a reduction in the working week. Whereas on the flip side of that, we have a lot of members that work in, for example, the Scottish Government uh, and the Scottish Parliament that do work like policy roles. And their work isn't necessarily about the time that they're in work. It's more about the job they do. So there's potentially more flexibility there. So, yeah, we really wanted to engage our members in a scoping project and make this sample as representative as possible of our membership across the whole sector within the limits of the resources that we had available. Um, so we worked with Autonomy, or Autonomy worked with us and our senior lay reps from the Scottish Government. And the decision was taken to conduct the scoping project there as there's a real diverse range of work, um, uh, job roles, I suppose, um, across the Scottish Government. So for example, you've got you know, policy and office-based roles. There's also security and reception staff that do shift work. There's also the social security, the new social security directorate. So there's a lot of um, public facing roles within that. And then there are some more unusual job roles such as um, meat inspectors that go out to abattoirs or fishery officers that go out to the ports, you know, jobs, I suppose, that have elements of field work. So yeah, there's a yeah, there's a really diverse range of jobs across the Scottish Government and that is why we made the decision to do it there. Will, I don't know if you want to follow with more information on the project itself. Mm. Yeah, so for us, this is a really fascinating project because because of the, the diversity of workplaces and kinds of work, um, this is the, the element of our research that we find most interesting because it really adds to some of the macroeconomic studies that you see out there. Having this kind of shop floor knowledge, particularly from a diversity of workplaces, is really important because when we're thinking about transitioning to shorter working weeks to an economy which works, let's say, four days instead of five days as the new full-time working week you really do need to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of how different workplaces tick how different jobs require different kind of parameters and so on and so for us it was really important that on a job of this scale on a sector of this scale you know the, the public sector in Scotland you really do need to do a scoping and feasibility exercise in order to kind of not only bring the staff with you but also to literally kind of get into the details to what what kind of work's going on there and the differences in in, in kinds of work that uh, Ruby just touched on, kind of output-based work versus more uh, kind of presence-based services and so on. So for us, it was it was it was, it was really uh, an interesting project, and and the way we went about it was was really in a qualitative manner. So you do need to start talking to those people who know their work processes best. So we had interviews, workshops, and of course the survey that. Um, Ruby touched on so for that reason we wanted to source kind of get a swell of conversation amongst uh, workers and the workforce themselves about the idea of a shorter working week about their work about the COVID experience um, but also kind of get them to start thinking about the challenges and overcoming them um, overcoming potential challenges to the shorter working week as well and it's important to have both workshop and interview channels of information both because people you know often might not want to say something in a group um, so want to have a kind of private channel in which they can uh, really express their 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 uh, conceptions of, of the idea of working time and, and its reduction, 
but also in group settings, some of the most uh, important and insightful comments really come out when you finally get to, to step outside of yourself in your work role and actually talk to others, um, perhaps in different jobs, but also perhaps in the same area and really kind of start swelling that conversation. So, and as you can see from the report, which I'm sure um, you would have read already, and, and hopefully listeners will be able to get a chance to read after the podcast, they will uh, see that there's some really great kind of detail, granular detail about the way people work and how they could, it could be improved and how they could adapt to a shorter working week. So hopefully it's a really valuable contribution. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting what you're saying about uh, the kind of variety of jobs um, across different sectors and how it might work in reality, because I do feel as though perhaps a reason for for people being sceptical is because they struggle to kind of understand how this could work. And what would you say to those people that maybe need a little bit more convincing and that might that might kind of feel as though, oh, I don't, I don't want to lose pay or I don't want this to happen and might have some questions? Yeah, I think for them, I mean, that's a very, a very common question or concern, probably the most common question and concern we get from our members. And I'm sure we'll, we'll agree we heard from workers in Scottish government who took part in our scoping project. Um, I mean... I think firstly, I need to make clear from a PCS perspective that our Scottish sector pay claim, um, and this will continue to be an element of our pay claim until our members have won a four-day week, is for a reduction in working time to, you know, full-time equivalent of four days, 28 hours, with absolutely no loss of pay or terms and conditions. And just to be clear here, we mean a reduction in working hours, not just days. So like Will has kind of covered already, we're very aware that there's a crisis of overwork and that's been exacerbated by the pandemic for some workers. And this absolutely is not about cramming five days of work into four days. This is about, you know, creating and negotiating a healthier work culture. Um, it's about people having more time outside of work and it's also about job creation as well. With regard to people who, I mean, don't, aren't yet convinced, I think it's, it's very simple, I suppose. We spend the majority of our lives working and we believe fundamentally that full-time work should be 28 hours, uh, four days, 28 hours. And I think to some, the four-day week has always seemed like a really utopian idea. And we have to ask ourselves why. Why does four days a week seem utopian? Who's telling us that it's unfeasible and unrealistic to work four days a week? People generally work from when they're in their teens until they're 67. Why can't we work four days a week? Why do we have to work five days? Um, and I think, you know, again, it's really important to put it into the context of the pandemic and think about what the pandemic has taught us about work and what's possible if the will is there. Um, you know, and I think importantly, the political will. So thinking back to March or pre-March 2020, I don't think anyone could have imagined the speed and scale of the changes that took place to our working lives practically overnight. You know, prior to the mm -hmm. pandemic, there was a real yeah. re reluctance from some employers to allow people to work from home, you know, maybe one or two days a week, if at all. And the dominant narrative that we would hear from our members was that if you're working from home any more than that, or you, you know, you ask to work from home, then you're skiving uh, and that people had to be in the office for a set amount of time. I'm not saying this is across all employers, but it was across the majority of employers. And that changed so quickly because it had to change so quickly. You know, it was a public health risk if we weren't working from home. And that should be a lesson to, to all of us. If that can change, why can't our working time change? And we really need to start challenging and questioning why we can't work less. Is it because those in power are telling us that we can't? And what can we do about that? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's it's definitely understandable for people to be sceptical when we are told, oh, this we can't adapt to this. But when actually a lot of the evidence that's presented in the report suggests the contrary, and it says that people can adapt, people feel confident about being able to adapt and that, that we can do this. Can I just add to that? Yeah, of course. There's just one quick thing I thought it was important to mention is that I guess as Ruby was talking about, you know, COVID, not only have we seen our working lives transform, particular, you know, it does depend on the sector, but huge amounts of those um, who work in desk-based roles, you know, changing to remote work, but also we've seen an intensification of work as well. So most studies out there that I've seen 
on kind of work within the COVID era have shown there has been an increase in uh, overall working time, whether it's like an hour or half an hour per day, but these things add up. So we've seen a real intensification of, of, of the amount of work that many of those who switch remote work are actually doing. So to some extent, the idea of a shorter working week is, is, is about reparations for an intensification or increase in workload itself. So it's not simply been a one-to-one switch. We've also seen a kind of um, intensification that might mean, for example, going to many meetings in a day, whereas before pre-remote uh, work, we would be you know, spending a few hours to get to a meeting, maybe maximum two or three meetings a day. Now we're switching from meeting to meeting to meeting. So really increasing that um, kind of productivity per per day in terms of the amount that gets done or the amount that gets kind of set up for 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 work. So I think that's really important to note. Um, it's not simply um, about uh, change. It's also about the intensification of work that we've seen. And that, I think that's why it's been a real accelerator um, around this idea of shorter working hours, precisely because of the, that experience. So from the report, could you speak a bit about the key findings from the report or anything particularly that surprised you when creating the report? Yeah, so I think what we found, what I found most striking about the the the, the work that we undertook was, was really when talking to people about this issue, they there was a really strong common sense around working time and particularly around what their experience of the COVID pandemic. So we'd also introduced the idea and ask uh, participants about how, how they've thought about the idea of working time before. Often we felt that we might have to introduce the idea of shortening the working week. But there was a, there was a very strong understanding of 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 how of the length of their working day the arbitrariness perhaps of the of the five-day working week a lot of people were very aware that um or at least asked the question that how and why do we work precisely as we do is there no way of changing that can we not work better some people for example brought up the fact that we didn't used to have a weekend and to them it seemed obvious that over time we would be moving to shorter working hours just like we have done before when we went from a seven-day week to a six-day week to a five-day week um, for them, it seemed like a nat- natural progression. Now, that wasn't across the board, but for us, it was quite interesting that there's a, there a very strong awareness of, of working time being something which isn't fixed or natural and can be changed. So that was, that was a broad, um, interesting finding from our, from our work. But as with all of these kind of very strong qualitative, stud- qualitative studies, we, we thought it was particularly interesting that when we opened up questions as to uh, what would a shorter working week mean for workers, um, across the board and all different kinds of organizations, people had all sorts of interesting things to say, whether it's um, you know, taking up a, uh, kind of, uh, new hobbies, returning to things that their, their kind of stressful working lives had kind of prevented, um, undertaking um, or at least having more time for their caring responsibilities. They thought the shorter working week would be a game changer. So opening up those questions, not only about how to make it work in your workplace, but what would a shorter working week do for you as a, as a person working in, the civil service was 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 uh, it kind of un, it was a whole treasure trove of insights as to as to what people would be enabled to do, and that's that's something which it's really important to, to kind of document, and that's what we tried to get across in the report itself. Um, I don't know, Ruby, if you thought of something particularly from a PCS standpoint that came out. Yeah, I mean, it's not even from the key. I, I, it's not even a key finding from the report. I think it's just really important to highlight my experience of being involved in this project and the interest that we had from workers in, a, in the topic of a four-day week because it was nothing short of incredible. You know, you see differing responses from groups of workers to issues pertaining to their working lives and from the, you know, literally, I'm not exaggerating, from the minute that the comms went out about this project, we were inundated with workers from Scottish government who wanted to be involved in this. Every interview and workshop space was filled and over 2,000 members of staff completed the survey. And for anyone who works in the trade union movement, you know that that's incredible. <laughs> that's a lot of people that yeah. got involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really um, yeah, not really much to add to what Will said. I mean, the headline findings are that 87% of participants from the survey support the tr- a trial of the four-day week across all business areas of the Scottish government. And I think really importantly, 84% of them believe that they can adapt their work process, processes sorry, to suit a four-day week. And that's really important. That figure is really important because that really provides a counter-narrative to anyone that says that it's not feasible to implement a four-day week full stop. Um, so yeah, there was, a lot, there was a lot of very interesting information to come out of the, the project about, you know, the benefits that people foresee to the four-day week, but they're the real headline findings there. 
I feel like the fact that there is so much interest as well, it just again goes to show that for a lot of people, this is an overdue acknowledgement that there is more to life than work. Um, just going back a bit um, to what we, what we previously um, touched on about kind of how this could be applied across different sectors. I feel as though maybe another question that, that comes to mind for a lot of people is how would this apply for for different groups of workers? So, for instance, essential workers, NHS staff, for instance, teachers. Is this a model that could be applied across the field or is it kind of sector specific? Yes, yeah, so that's a really good question. It always comes up uh, in our research, but also in our advocacy of, of moving to more sustainable working hours. I think the thing to remember is that different strategies of implementation need to be applied to different sectors. So we've done a lot of work looking at uh, the public sector um, and particularly those roles who, where it simply isn't possible for the same for the workers in that role to do the same um, amount of work at the same amount of output within shorter working hours. So I'm here I'm talking about teachers, nurses, but also elements of the um, Scottish civil service that we talk to. Um, those In those areas, there will need to be an increase in headcount, increase in staff, and that will incur a cost. Um, but as an employer, the public sector um, has an advantage of for every job created, um, every position, every staff position, every employee also plays income tax and national insurance contributions. So actually the cost of each employee to the government as employer is actually quite low as compared to the private sector, for example. So it's important to recognize that new employment will need to be created, but that's a net positive from our perspective, that creating more jobs with better working conditions is a good thing for uh, national governments to to pursue. Um, and actually, we've produced reports not just for the UK public sector, but also for the Scottish uh, public sector um, in particular. So listeners can go to the Autonomy website to find um, a Scottish uh, four-day week in the public sector costings and show that it's it's roughly 1% to 2% of, of public spending uh, that it will cost to move the entire public sector, let's say, on very conservative assumptions to a shorter working week. So it's important that work is done and people can see the evidence and the costings for that. Um, that's not to also, uh, we shouldn't neglect the fact that for many uh, for many jobs in many workplaces, moving to a shorter working week would not necessarily require greater headcount. And that's why those organisations should be encouraged to make that transition uh, in a careful and kind of considered manner. But nonetheless, uh, it is possible um, uh, relatively easily that's why in our work with firms and organizations where we pilot it we get a lot of people coming to us saying how do we do it and you know can achieve this with you know a greater um uh, well we can achieve this basically and i think just on you know the last point there about the nine to five workers as i said earlier this is a discussion that we'll you know have to have within pcs so as mentioned earlier a lot of our members have different experiences of work whether that's someone who works for reception and security in the Scottish Government or the Social Security Directorate and is on the phone to members of the public or a visitor experience member of staff in the museums, you know, there are um, there are factors there such as building, opening, closing times and shift work that, you know, our, our activists and members will, will take the lead on mapping out the possibilities for a reduction in working time in these job roles. And that's really important. Just a last final thing to add is that this is why it's important to work with those on the shop floor and, and, and trade union reps and so on, is that to build a strategy of moving to a shorter working week, that needs to happen from below mm-hmm. uh, rather than just imposing a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. um, operation, basically. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. What would happen to a part-time worker, for example, who may already be on four days a week in sort of a situation where all their colleagues then move to a four-day week? What do you see happening to that worker? Uh, yeah, I'll answer that, but I think Will might be able to follow some information about the, the scoping project. Uh, yeah, this is similar to um, the question that we get about a four-day week with loss of pay, <laughs> which is not the case. Mm-hmm. This kind of second most popular question is about part-time workers. Um, there is no there is no one answer to this at this point. Um, and the, I think the report really showed, the Scottish Government report showed that there is no one size fits all approach to the implementation of a four day week. So in the report, um, or sorry, in the project, when speaking to part time workers, um, our members and the wider staff that were involved in, in the sessions, the majority of them wanted an increase in pay. So to remain on the same hours, the reduced hours that they work, but to have an increase in pay. 
However, I will can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was only just over 51% of, of the workers we spoke to. So there are, or there were a lot of people that wanted a further reduction in hours. So I think, you know, importantly, as part of any campaign for a four day week, workers should be central to to that decision. Um, and that would be something that would be part of any negotiation for a reduction in the working week. What works for one won't work for the other, but it's, it's a you know, crucial part of the conversation that needs to be had when exploring what the four day week would look like across different job roles and across different organisations and sectors. Yeah, I think what came out strongly from the workshops and interviews was that there was a diff- there was a variation in responses to that question as to if you are a part time worker, would you would you prefer a reduction in your hours relative to the reduction that full time workers are receiving, or would you prefer a pay rise in line with the per hour pay um, inc- um, increase of full time workers? And I think that just shows that yeah, it, it, flexibility and kind of getting buy in from workers as to what. Um, or how their work changes is really important because there is that variation. Um, but it is interesting, as Ruby says, that that some would prefer a relative reduction um, of of uh, working hours while retaining the same pay that they're getting. It shows actually the importance of time as a resource. That working time reduction is important in itself um, for some people. But yes, I think I think that's this is why a scoping exercise is really important because actually you surface all these different rocks, which kind of um, uh, show that you know actually in each workplace uh, and, and the workers demands might be different so this is why it's exciting that this is almost like the f- the start of of the conversation that PCS are leading on I don't yeah well I don't know about you my experience of these issues such as loss of peer terms and conditions and um, part-time work when I initially have these conversations or have observed these conversations they come through very clearly as concerns and they're spoken about as concerns and once you then have that conversation and explore all the different aspects it's almost like the conversation tone of the conversation changes and it's turned from a concern into a an opportunity or a possibility yeah that's that's absolutely true i mean our work at autonomy is always i mean because it's about work and the future of work it, that's what's interesting about the topic is that everyone's got an opinion and quite a strong opinion about it because mm-hmm. everyone's got that experience of either having a job and what that's like or not having a job and needing one in the economy that we live in so so in this particular um study just like all of our others when we work with staff it's always about surfacing those issues and then talking them through and then and kind of building to um developing the conversation basically and that's why you need to need to have these conversations rather than just asking a question so that's why we corroborated the survey with workshops and interviews because the conversation around work is always very contested it's, it often brings out a lot of strong emotions and feelings um that's why if you, you can steer the conversation with all sorts of different ideas around okay so what would be your ideal situation hypothetically how could this be solved this kind of thing and then you get you know, actually some of the some of the best ideas for policies and solutions come from those who perhaps have those concerns to begin with and then start opening up their mind to, to, to overcoming them. So yeah, that's that's a really important part of the study. You've spoken a little bit earlier about the benefits that some um, individual workers spoke about in the report, you know, more time for caring, more time for interests outside of work and hobbies. But I'd like to ask about the benefits out with the sort of individual working experience or the benefits to society of the four day working week. Yeah, so there are, there are a whole range of benefits of which I'll just pick a few. So, so it's always important to note, particularly in our historical moment now the environmental benefits of a shorter working week so a number of studies have shown that those countries with longer working weeks with fewer holidays and so on have a larger carbon footprints um are, are kind of worse for the environment so um that's not just the kind of production that we do that's not just uh, the hours we spend on in our jobs but also the consumption that happens in and around work so a lot of people in the uk still um commute to work via car when when commuting, uh, kind of, if commuting hit comes back to the normal levels it was before the pandemic, that's a huge burden on the environment. We also tend to, when we're working long hours, we also tend to buy carbon-intensive goods, so bottled water, ready meals, and so on, rather than having time to cook for ourselves or go out and buy um, kind of non-carbon-intensive goods. So that the consumption that goes on around work is is just as important as as the kind of work that we do for our environmental. Um, uh, footprint basically and if we're working less if we're working four days a week that really does um, have a predicted impact on uh, on our footprint there now 
beyond the environmental benefits, we've also got to ask the question around um, equality in an age of technological change. So um, as newer technological um, labor-saving devices get brought onto the market, get implemented into the labor uh, market, into our workplaces, the question is, how do we see the benefits of these new technologies? How do we see the benefits of, let's say, speeding up of our work, as most technologies do, um, you know, if, if our work's being sped up, if we're, if we're being more productive because we have greater devices to work with, how do we, how do workers see the benefit of that? And I'm sure to work in weeks, an obvious answer to that question. If, if the organization's uh, performing better and there's greater productivity because of this new tech, then actually, you know, why not shorten the working week? And that's traditionally been the demand of trade unions in the past. That's how we have achieved greater uh, work-life balance. That's because uh, workers have said, well, actually, you're benefiting as an employer, therefore we should benefit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's obviously the, the the gender angle as well, which is which has always been why the shorter working week has been at the forefront of many feminist groups' demands. Basically, so obviously we know that most unpaid work outside of employment is done uh, performed by women. Um, and now, while shorter working week won't achieve great gender equality overnight, nonetheless, greater time for everyone will encourage a greater sharing of uh, responsibilities in the home, food preparation, childcare, and so on. Um, by all basically so it's it's seen as a kind of universal egalitarian policy in general so not only increasing people's ability to do hobbies um, and uh, greater well-being having more time to rest from work but having greater environmental and hopefully gender equal outcomes too great thanks could you speak a bit about um, examples of where the four-day week has been successful particularly in specific workplaces or maybe examples from abroad Sure. So we've seen internationally a, a real um, growth in the conversation around the, the shorter working week or the four day week. So in Iceland, they've just completed a five year trial of a uh, significant reduction in the working week, not necessarily a four day week, but a reduction of around four hours um, or different workplaces reduced their working week by you know, between two and four hours over, across the week over a trial period of about five years. That trial was incredibly successful. Um, over 2000 public sector employees took part of it in it health and well-being went up, productivity was maintained or increased, and so on. That's probably the largest public sector trial uh, that we've ever seen. Uh, so that's really significant because that's reduced the working week to around 35 hours for um, staff in those workplaces. And now, thanks to the success of the trial, public sector and private sector unions have negotiated new contracts for 86% of the workforce in that country, which even though it's a small country, it's a huge relative proportion of workers who now have new contracts with greater working hours or better abilities, or sorry, a greater ability to um, negotiate better working hours. In Spain, we're seeing a, f- a 50 million euro fund being created um, in order to support trials in private sector firms of all different kinds, about 200 different firms. So Spain, in Spain, the conversation is really um, picking up thanks to progressive uh, political parties there. Um, in the UK, if you go on the four day week um, campaigns website, I think it's fourdayweek.co.uk, you see a whole list of uh, private sector firms of all different kinds um, with an accreditation scheme. So you can kind of see um, what uh, gold, silver and bronze kind of um, badges mean. So I think gold, uh, a, a gold accreditation for a four day week firm would be 32 hours, no reduction in pay um, and a few other benefits. So you can see that like as as this list increases on the on the accreditation scheme similar to the kind of living wage um employer scheme um a whole range of different um companies that are implementing it and I guess finally, I should probably point to autonomy's work which where we work with organizations of different kinds, so for example, the stop aids charity in London we work with they've now moved to a twenty eight hour working week with really um significant flexibility for staff when they work their hours and how. We've worked with uh, Big Potato Games, which is a uh, board game company um, who, who have design components, marketing components, different departments of different needs. They now work a, a four-day week, um, distinctly four-day week, so Monday to Thursday, and they're doing really well. Their sales have gone up and so on, so they've seen no economic detriment to move into a shorter working week. And so it's really exciting seeing a whole wave of new firms coming out um, and either trialing it or adopting a four-day week. And I should mention perhaps the largest that we've worked with is Awin, which is a giant marketing firm spread across Europe with thousands of employees. And we did a kind of a small scoping exercise for them. And they then went off and did their own four-day week trial, which I think they're in the middle of now. So um, it's not just small companies, it's large firms too. The, the um, Icelandic public sector report that Will has just um, discussed is a really valuable piece of work to us and I'm sure to our 
other trade unions as well. For the first time this year, when the Scottish Government pay policy was published, um, it had in it or included um, a section on the standardisation of the 35 hour week where this is not already in place. And, you know, this is really on the back of a sustained campaign from trade unions for the last few years to reduce the working week. And um, that has been a central part to ongoing pay negotiations across the Scottish sector. And the Icelandic report has been a really helpful reference point for us because our, obviously our claim is for a four day week and 28 hours. But for those organisations that are still even working a 37 hour week, the 35 or the reduction to a 35 hour week is the, you know, the first step on the journey to a four day week. So it's been really useful for us to have that, um, that data and that evidence from a trial that was that, you know, reflective of, of what we're trying to achieve in the short term. That's great. And that's something that we can definitely pop in the notes of the episode so folk listening at home can have a read of that along with the PCS and autonomy report. Yeah, I was just going to mention just as, as we were kind of speaking about um, kind of obviously the current world we're living in with the pandemic and everything still going on at the moment. A lot of the stuff that we, we've been discussing is tied up with the, the kind of current state of things and, and with the COVID pandemic and particularly a lot of the benefits of a four-day working week so what you've mentioned there well around the kind of ecological benefits and people feeling as though maybe they're due reparations for additional time that it was they put in due to COVID and mental health as well do you feel as though the, the, the pandemic has kind of put this into people's consciousness more do you feel as though it's kind of got it on the agenda? Yes I do think definitely COVID has changed um, the the way that we view work um, I mean how could it not because it changed the way we work in so many ways um, you know like I said we earlier we couldn't have imagined working in this way prior to March last year um, and the pandemic has definitely in my opinion brought the 4D week conversation more into the mainstream Will might disagree on that I would be interested to know his views, but certainly it always kind of seemed on the margins before. Um, I think at the same time, we have to be very mindful about how people have experienced work during the pandemic in so many different ways. So, you know, obviously a few of those ways would be working from home, furlough, but also being on the front line as a key worker. And we really have to consider all of those different experiences when thinking about if the cultural landscape has changed with regard to reduction in the working week. No, I'm saying I think that's absolutely true. And I think actually that makes me think that there's a number of reasons why this has been, this idea of shorter working hours or the demand for a 40 week has been accelerated during the COVID pandemic because for all their differences in the experience of work, they all point to a quite similar conclusion that, for example, um, on the one hand, the world of work's been thrown up in the air, a lot of people working remotely or they've been on furlough, um, uh, which has kind of opened the economic imaginary as to like changing how we work. But for those who haven't necessarily changed how they work and they've been working incredibly in incredibly stressful environments, very burdensome physically and mentally, that also points to the, the idea that actually, you know, shortening the working week for these um, uh, workers is incredibly important because they're going to burn out. Mm. They're going to leave the sector or they're going to, you know, have some serious um, mental and physical side effects. So actually, even though they're very different experiences, they also both point to uh, working time as a, as a serious issue. Um, beyond that, of course, during the pandemic, we also had the question of unemployment. Um, you know, huge yeah. unemployment cliffs at various moments have been averted by some of the government schemes. But nonetheless, that's still down the line as we speak today. Um, and particularly at the start of the pandemic, it was, you know, the claimant count was, was rocketing. So the shorter working week has been traditionally a solution to mass unemployment by sharing available work around. And just to point back to the public sector work that we've done at Autonomy on the shorter working week, we've shown that the implementation of a shorter working week in the public sector across the UK could create up to 500,000 new jobs if if done correctly. And so as, as a solution to unemployment, shorter working week has gained in prominence just as it had back in the 1930s and, and since then. So I think for all these reasons, that's why it's been accelerated. But that's Thanks, Ruby, for bringing that stuff up. Actually, it helped me think that all these reasons do point to working time, even if they're all quite different. On the flip side of 
people that were working from home and really had that that appreciation for time there are the workers the key workers who worked throughout the pandemic you know whether they were supermarket workers or drivers or work for the NHS and when you think about them and their experience of working the way in which they work during the pandemic but also you know in everyday life it doesn't seem that the four-day week rhetoric or even you know talks about a reduction in working week it really doesn't seem like it extends to those groups of workers um so yeah Mm -hmm. I think that when we're thinking about like has it changed the cultural landscape yeah to some degree but nowhere near enough like nowhere near enough um Mm -hmm. and that ties into I suppose how it's maybe changed the political landscape as well you know for for people in Scotland I'm sure a lot of people are aware that um, during the last parliamentary elections in May, the SNP, Green and Labour Party all had the four-day week as part of their manifestos. And with the very recent um, (laughs) SNP and Green agreement, not coalition, that means that those two parties who are now in power support on paper the four-day week. But what does that look like? So, you know, earlier this year, Nicola Sturgeon announced that there was um, there was going to be £10 million of funding for companies to trial for a week. So it's very careful word and it's companies, it's private, private sector. Why is it not the public sector? You know, manifesto promises are all good and well, but we actually need to see tangible results for this. But I think, you know, importantly, this shows there is political support for this in the parliament. And that tells me that we've won the argument politically, but now we really need to win the argument at the negotiating table. We need to see this turned into a reality. And like Will said earlier, we really need a supermajority of our members to be engaged in that idea, in this idea of a four-day week. I guess one thing that sort of struck me when I was reading the report was that there seems to be, among some parts of the Scottish government, a quite, quite a bit of a culture of overworking. How do you see the four-day week being brought in and sort of combating that over overworking culture because I guess we mentioned this earlier it's about our reduction of working hours not just four days but intensified work so I guess how do you Mm -hmm. yeah and that would be my sort of worry from reading the report that some people would end up still just cramming in stuff into the four days so how would you sort of respond to that from PCS? Yeah, totally. That's something we need to be really mindful of and really sensitive to. And uh, was was at the forefront of any planning that we done from day one um, mm-hmm. with our, our our lay reps from Scottish government and with Will and Kyle from Autonomy. I mean, the report showed that seventy percent of workers um, told us in the last twelve months that they've regularly worked over their contract hours. I'm sure that everyone can accept that it's been an extraordinary 12 months. But the fact is, is that in a political environment, there will always be something that throws things into chaos. So, I mean, think about our political environment for the last, what year are we in? 2021, the last seven years. So you could think of the independence referendum, Mm -hmm. Brexit, the pandemic. You know, this has to be things like this have to be accounted for when you work in a political environment, because if not, then the structure of your work and the planning for your work is completely unrealistic. If you've if you've not put some kind of um, some provisions for things like this to happen. Um, yeah. So, I mean, 56 percent of workers surveyed also told us that they experience work related stress. So we were we were very aware of all of these factors when we were looking to undertake this project in the Scottish government. And like you said, Rachel, this isn't about people cramming five days of work into four days. It's not about people cramming 37 hours into mm-hmm. 28 hours, because actually a lot of people have told us they're not even working 37 hours just now. People are working way above any kind of working time directive limit I mean some people were telling us they were working 80 hour weeks and that's that's so tough on people and that's not acceptable um like I said earlier it's also not sustainable ultimately it's not totally it's not sustainable um yeah like I said earlier this isn't about cramming it's about you know us changing work and changing the culture um, and I think importantly, and something that came through from mm-hmm. the Scottish Government report as well is it's also about introducing labour saving technology, like Will said earlier, that allows people to work less and also creates jobs. One thing I would add to that, I think, is um, which is really important and which, which came 
came out in our workshops and interviews is when, when we were talking about you know what would help um kind of usher in a new uh, working culture around shorter working hours and so on it's just changing about it's, it's often about it's not only this but it's often about changing the rules of the workplace because i think if you're in a workplace where you want to excel you want to do well and you want to you know show that you're working hard often people go above and beyond i think i think in often in political roles or in roles where you're serving the public good and so on that's that's how people inhabit their job um but the the flip side to that is that it can encourage overwork culture sometimes and it can kind of lead people even with the best intentions to burn out and to kind of raise um let's say the level of what people are ex- is expected of people so part mm-hmm. of moving to a shorter working week or a four-day week is saying actually the new full-time working week is going to be this that is a, there's a shared understanding about that mm-hmm. and this is what now constitutes overtime and so on so it's really important that um it's not just about saying to people, hey, try and work less. It's saying actually there's an, the, the, we're rewriting the rules of working time in your workplace. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, no longer is it, um, uh, it's almost like saying it's almost no longer okay to be going and, and burning yourself out mm-hmm. in, in, to this degree because that's actually way beyond what the full-time working week is. And that, is, that does take an effort and that does take um, collaboration between everyone in the workplace to get there. But uh, that's why it's necessary that it's done in a kind of collective and universal manner rather than just a kind of on an individualist basis because those pressures to, to go above and beyond will always be there. So you have to have that conversation. I was just going to add to that. That was something that came through in the, the projects and in the report that there needs to be that culture shift and that needs to include mm-hmm. every level of management because the way that... Um, Will and Kyle structured some of the workshops and interviews um, was in the way that they would ask people to discover, uh, dis- <laughs> discuss, excuse me, um, their um, aspirations and apprehensions when thinking about a 4D week. And what came through in that apprehensions was management buy-in. And I think that's going to be vital to um, mm-hmm. that reduction in work and um, not cramming into 28 hours work that you can't do in 37 hours. Yeah, something that I was going to mention there that Rachel and I were discussing a bit before, I feel as though on social media, a lot of the time now, you are seeing young people pushing back against this whole kind of hustle culture and overworking kind of being glamorised as like, oh, look at me, I'm doing so much. But actually, yeah, I think people are starting to push back slightly on that. But I think what Will said there kind of hits home that, yeah, this needs to be a collective pushback rather than just kind of a pushback as the individual mm-hmm. definitely so I think from a PCA well from a PCS perspective what we need to do is we need to organize workers to build grassroots support for a 40 week and mm-hmm. we really need to start to put on put bottom-up pressure on the government um I think that what's become very apparent to us and is probably quite apparent throughout this 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 podcast is that we just need to speak to people and engage them in the conversation about a 4D week mm-hmm. and go through all the issues related to part-time work, shift work and answers people answer people's questions and like Will said, turn those questions um, or concerns into opportunities and get people thinking about it in a different way. Um, ultimately, mm-hmm. we really need to raise people's expectations about the time that they spend working and bring them around to the realisation that this, this can be different working time can be reduced but we need our members to stand with us because we will not win this without a fight um, Mm -hmm. and without an organized membership base Um, and then really it ties into that as well we need to hold our elected representatives to and our government to account like I said earlier the Mm four-day week is part of the Green Party, the SNP and the Labour Party's manifestos and we need to see those pledges turned into something tangible. And I would would add to that um maybe three other groups actually who are really helping make the the shorter working week um issue a a, a reality basically i'd say on the one hand um there there needs to continue to be good research on this issue and that's what at autonomy we're trying to do so producing studies on environmental impacts public sector implementations um all sorts of um studies which kind of can add that kind of add to the resources available to those who are interested in implementing it in their workplace or interested in campaigning for it so i think that's really important i think it's important that there are there are although this discussion is really around a kind of bottom-up workplace um initiative for a shorter working week i think it's still important to point to those first mover um 
companies and organizations running shorter working weeks in their workplaces. Um, it's important to, to look at how they've done it, why it's been beneficial for their workers and so on. So kind of first mover employers are an important actor, as well as um, also generally campaigns in, in wider social movements, basically. So I would point to the four day week campaign across the UK, but there's also internationally in Ireland, as well as in um, uh, Germany and Spain. Uh, so those kind of campaigns pushing for wider societal benefits are also really important here. Yeah, on a similar vein, then, what are some practical steps that, that communities and trade unionists can, can take? I think if, um, if a four-day week is part of your union's industrial agenda or there's a four-day week campaign, then obviously get involved. The more people that we have that are active in their union on any issue only increases the chances of us winning on that issue from um, from our perspective as we start, from PCS perspective, as we start to build our four-day week campaign on the back of the report that we did with Autonomy. Our immediate focus and uh, a practical step that we're taking is on educating our members on what we mean by a four-day week. So, yeah, as discussed earlier, all the, all the questions and concerns that are raised with us, um, we, we, we want to address. And, you know, we, we realise that we won't even need um, employers to push back on a four-day week of our of our membership are not bought into it. So um, in September, we're putting on a, an online event um, which will be you know, what we mean by a four day week and working with autonomy to do that. And I think that that's a really good practical step that, that trade unions and activists can do to, to heighten that consciousness in the workplace on the four day week. Speak to people, set up meetings, set up events, get people involved and get that conversation going. Brilliant. Well, did you want to come in there? Um, I think just if, if people are listening to this, they want to kind of get to know more about the four day week or understand more i'd obviously recommend going to our research page on the autonomy website where we've all of our materials there available for free so you can see our findings on a number of different studies um i'd go to the four day week.co.uk website to, to see the list of companies already actioning this and see a whole range of resources there um i would also flag we've got a we're helping support a um a new kind of um video campaign around a short a four-day week where we're hopefully going to be getting some uh, some celebrity voiceover um artists to kind of contribute to the campaign so that should be a, make a big splash sometime later in the year so just look out for that basically that's great and am i right in saying you've got a book coming out well oh yeah i should probably plug the book um yeah so we have a book coming out in, in september um with verso it's called overtime it's more it's a kind of historical and um, it's, a, it's an overview of historical arguments and more theoretical arguments about why um, we should support the shorter working week and why uh, progressives should be should get behind it, really. So it's less of a kind of uh, policy book, less of a um, here's why it's good for your company book. It's more here's the history, here's, here's the, the political and theoretical reasons why. So that should be out, yeah, mid-September with Verso um, for just under £10. Brilliant. You need to check that out. Well, thank you so much for for joining us today. Thanks both. We'll make sure as well that all the links to the reports that were mentioned um, will be in the notes um, for anyone listening at home. And yeah, thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by the STUC, presented by Ewan McLaren and Rachel Thompson and edited by Karina Liptrop. For updates on our latest podcast episodes, follow us on Twitter at ScottishTUC.